everybody, this is Tuesday Morning Grind, episode number 33. Today's a special episode because this is our fifth year anniversary. So with us, we have Ryan McGowan, who's our chief revenue officer, and Christian White, who's the co-founder. And I think we're going to do like an interview style, change it up a little bit, talk about where the firm's been and where we're going. So let's let's do it, dudes. Right on. Thank you for the special uh, guest hosting opportunity. Uh, Christian Hyatt co-founder Christian White we refer to him as CW so for the sake of the interview I will call each by by their nomenclature here um, <laughs> let's uh, let's start with uh, well just how did you guys meet let's start at the very beginning walk me through um, how you two cross paths cool I'll t- I guess I'll take this one since I, I, I love the origin story and I can uh, I think the the story changes and gets more fake details the more times I take tell it so <laughs> yeah. but yeah. Uh, so me and CW, um, we were actually did our MBA program together at Georgia Tech, which is a, a great school here in the Atlanta area. And uh, I walk into the classroom first day. I, I don't know anyone else doing the MBA program at all. So, uh, but there is a guy sitting at the very front row, very straight back, that also has the name Christian on his name tag. And I figure, hey, that is a great way to break the ice is sit next to the other guy named Christian. And then uh, sat next to CW, and uh, we, we got to chatting. And I think one of the first things I realized is CW also was in the business school to start a business. Uh, so I had uh, I hit the jackpot, and the two guys in the business school who were there to start a business, and we would later find out we're the only folks out of that MBA program that started a business, uh, happened to sit next to each other. And uh, so we had the opportunity to spend the next two years basically uh, vetting each other, making sure that we we're good business partners for each other and thinking about the business model for Risk360 and end up pitching that, um, you know, to the class. We got to go to China together, got to uh, become friends before we were business partners, which is a, a good thing. And that, that's that's my version of the origin story. I don't know if you remember it differently, CW. <laughs> no, that's about right. I think... Uh... Yeah, I mean, having two years to hone a business plan and, and kind of vet a partner, I think, is uh, something in retrospect that was really important that um, it was a unique opportunity. I don't know how, how you would do that outside of a program like that. I think also, uh, you know, sharing ideas while on the uh, Great Wall of China and, and walking around Beijing, that was also kind of a unique experience, seeing a different perspective of the world. And um, yeah, so... I'd say that's an accurate story. So that and that's the version I've heard historically, which leaves out a lot of details that we're going to d- dive into a little bit more granular level here today. So was it actually that very first conversation? Hi, I'm Christian. I'm Christian. That you guys arrived at understanding both of you had goals to to launch a business, or when specifically did that happen through that journey? I think we were after. both trying to sell each other. If, if I'm not mistaken, that, that's my read on it. Because CW was part of a, another startup that he was working on. Uh, and I was at uh, a public accounting firm. I was a senior manager at a public accounting firm. But all, but I already knew. I knew I was going to make the leap, whether it was like a, a independent contractor or just solopreneur or something like that. I knew I was going to do that. CW was at a startup. His startup was having... I guess, you know, the same types of problems our clients have, thinking about their security story and what they were going to do around compliance and all of that. Um, I was also interested in what CW was doing from a um, startup perspective. So, you know, outside of just day-to-day class, we, we met up um, 
I was kind of pitching him the whole like, hey, this is why security program makes sense. I think he was pitching me, uh, you know, maybe I don't know how you could be useful to us, but maybe you could be useful to the startup ecosystem we were in. So from my side, at least, I was kind of pitching CW two from two ways one like maybe i could do business with these guys and two like cw individually like this is the kind of guy i could potentially do business with and the way that he approached the whole situation very professionally um you know with integrity um openness all the stuff you want out of a business partner just made me know hey look this is the kind of guy i want to do business with more than just you know like him paying me to do some services for him perhaps as a business partner CW, I don't know what your side of the story is. We've never actually even talked about that, but. Yeah, no, that's right. And then, you know, we had opportunity to work on, uh, you know, projects together, uh, different school projects. When, when there was opportunity to partner with somebody, we, we would try to team up. And I think that gave us some reps, you know, just seeing how uh, each other worked and communication style and, and all that good stuff that you would otherwise just, fluff, you know, kind of flush out on the fly, but we were able to kind of, um, organically build that relationship without really knowing where it was headed. I think maybe until the second year where we we're like, you know, getting more down to, to brass tacks, like, all right, this is going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but I think that first year was a lot of just discovery. Yeah. I'll, so, I'll so that's what I knew. Please go ahead. I'll, I'll tell this is uh, I'll, I'll leave off some of the details to protect the innocent. But, uh, you know, I think me and CW knew we were going to be business partners, but kind of like when you're getting married to someone, like there's like instance where, you know, you know, and I, let's just say when the chaos of China is treating you as such, and, uh, you know, you got to have someone having your back that you trust, uh, the way CW, uh, acted with uh, alcohol in his bloodstream. I knew that he would be a good, uh, good business partner. Just kept us I have up no together. I have no remembrance of this. <laughs> That's what you speak. <laughs> so the program, the program's two years, right? The, the MBA program two is two years. And, and it sounds like, Christian, you're working what we would consider to be in the space. Christian, you're working at a startup with maybe the, the services being relevant, but not necessarily in security, compliance, privacy, et cetera. Um, at what point and what was the, I guess, moment you arrived on, uh, you know, the, the security kind of compliance, privacy niche was one that you guys were going to launch the business in? How did that happen? Well, from my perspective, you know, I, I had one goal going into the MBA program that was to start a business, but was uh, fairly agnostic as to what type of business. And um, I, I was, you know, I knew what my circle of competence was, uh, you know, coming out of the military, you know, it had to do with building great teams, uh, you know, managing an organization, working with people, coaching, mentoring, all those things that are important to any organization. But, you know, my problem was where do I focus that, you know, what industry do I do I choose to start a business? And Christian told me that, you know, he was a, a subject matter expert. You know, I could just tell <laughs> right away. He didn't have to sell it to me. I was I perceived that just the way he talked about things, um, the way that, uh, you know, he actually pitched a startup that I was at. I realized, wow, he really understands the space. He understands where it's going. So, you know when he you know, started talking more seriously about launching, I was like, yeah, this is obviously the space because collectively this is where we have expertise. So he was the expert. I was not the expert, but knew uh, how to become an expert, you know, over time. And, and he coached me a lot on the stuff that I needed to be coached on. Yeah. I, I would say CW was not the subject matter expert, but he's probably the catalyst that kind of made this turn into a business. 
uh, in the way it is today. And what I mean by that is for me, I, I just wanted to go out and do security work. I wanted to do security and compliance consulting. I knew there was a market for it. I knew that I could pay the bills by doing it. Uh, no matter, like I said, if it was a solo gig or a company that was doing that. And then once we started using the MBA program and conversations beyond that to think about how this would turn into a business using words like scalability and thinking about uh, turning the business into an engine that can grow. Um, that was largely CW because, you know, I remember when we did kind of this business canvas was like, how big is the market and uh, how big could the business be? What percentage of the market could we own? I was like, dude, we could probably each make six figure salaries. And like that, I would be happy with that, you know, like just making a good living and CW is like, no, man, this is a hundred million dollar business. Like easy, we could do this. And he had the grand vision of scaling out this business and got me excited about that vision too. And I was like, wait a second, you're right. We, we can do something like that. So, it, so while I brought in probably the understanding of the market and some of the, some of the subject matter expertise, what CW brought to the table was the vision on where we could take that and then kind of the fuel on the fire between the two of us to think about trying to take it there. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, if we had to say what, what were each of our respective roles, you know, Christian's the visionary, I'm more of the integrator type. Um, and there's a few books that talk about this type of stuff. Uh, there's the E-Myth Revisited. There's also Traction that talk about this idea of, you know, roles and responsibilities. And when you're starting a business, you're trying to figure those out. Um, so I think it helps to not have an ego or to be able to set aside your ego to do what's best for the sake of the business and really be a steward of the business. Um, and I think having that time to build the relationship ahead of time really helped us to figure out, all right, what is Christian best at? All right, let me be okay not being good at those things. And let me focus on the things that I'm good at. And between the two of us, you know, th that's how we launched. So you guys are going to school. You're also both working full time. You got young families. Um, the, the, I imagine the MBA program comes to a conclusion. Uh, you probably had a little bit of head steam because you've been working on building out the business plan, you know, loosely or otherwise during the during those two years. Um, talk to me through the, you know, resignation and, and formal launch of the business process and what that was like and and probably both from a personal and professional standpoint, you know, obviously, uh, if it, entrepreneurial, uh, if that was easy, everybody be pursuing it, right? So making that leap is, is a big deal. I'd love to hear kind of your thought process and how you guys each arrived at that and, and went all in on it. Yeah, I, I was scared to death personally. Um, I'm, I'm pretty conservative by nature in terms of like risk taking. Um, so my family situation was, I was actually, uh, I had a partnership opportunity at a public accounting firm. So my opportunity cost was pretty high. So I was trying to decide if I'm going to go partner at this accounting firm or if I'm going to, you know, go give it a shot and try to be an entrepreneur, which is something that I've always wanted to do for as long as I can remember. Um, but I also had a very young family. I had uh, my daughter who was, I think, uh, three or four at the time, a new son. Uh, that was on the way, um, mortgage, you know, all the stuff that young families have. So giving up that great opportunity for the risk of taking no paycheck or actually paying to work, because uh, effectively we were funding, you know, who's going to buy the pencils and the laptops? Well, we're, we're going to do that. Um, so what happened was ahead of the uh, end of the MBA program, we actually got uh, an opportunity with a client um, that was basically, I think it was like 35K. It was a pretty, pretty small gig. Uh, but it was interesting enough where I was like kind of doing the math in my head. Okay, I can survive for a few months off of this. 
I'll bet during that time I could probably find some more work and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens and, uh, talk to my wife and I, I got to give my wife and family a ton of credit because everybody in my family I talked to, they were like, of course you should do this. You're going to be wildly successful. And it turns like I had the least amount of confidence myself. All of them were like, please do this and stop talking about it. You've been talking about starting a business forever. Just be quiet and do it. Like, I think it was a relief to them. I was finally going to give this thing a shot. So jump ship, took that gig. Um, and then all of a sudden we're off to the races. Uh, it, 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 it turned out there's a lot of people that need security work. So we do the, uh, that first gig, a second gig comes out, a third gig comes out. I think we're two months into it and I call CW and I'm like, Hey man, can you like quit everything and go full time? And, uh, and then CW, at least from my perspective was like, uh, yeah, of course I will. It seemed like he wasn't ready to do it at all, which I was, uh, excited about, but that was kind of my part of the story. CW, I don't know like what fears, anxiety you had. You certainly never expressed them to me. You seem very confident from my perspective. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think uh, we had talked about it for so long and, and prepared, you know, it was kind of like, well, that was a time to jump. Um, so I had, a, I had a few opportunities to practice that in a prior life in the military, like do an airborne school or ranger school or you get to the edge and you're getting, it's time to do it, you know. So I didn't have any hesitation from a, are we prepared standpoint? It was more like, are we going to do it or are we not? You know, we talk a lot about it, but are we going to take a step forward and, and make a commitment or are we going to just, you know, keep talking about it? And, um, I would also say, like, I give my wife a lot of credit. Uh, she was hundred percent on board and said, you need to do this again. She was tired of me talking about it, uh, probably as well. But, um, you know, she got to you know Christian Lauren a little bit and, um, uh, was hundred percent on board. So that gave me the confidence to do that. And, um, let's see, I'm trying to remember the timeline for when we, when we launched, I think I committed, I think it was like the week before my, my second son was born. So like, obviously things like healthcare and all that other stuff come into account and you're like, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And and the short answer is you figure it out, you know, yep. you, you, yeah. you, you take the time, you, you figure it out, you do research, you, you ask questions. And, um, but yeah, that was, that was the launch story. So, so I've been a part of a few startups myself. I think you, you probably you kind of go into it thinking like there's a very specific set of problems that we're going to come in and solve, and this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. But um, you know, the early days are the early days, and and from my experience, you, you hustle out every grounder you you come across, right? Because you're trying to keep the lights on and build something from scratch. Can you speak a little bit to the types of engagements maybe that you were? managing at that point in time, you know, uh, versus what we're doing today and, and how much they may be different? Yeah, we, we were so fortunate early on because the business model was if they'll pay us to do it, we'll do it, <laughs> <laughs> which makes things really simple. <laughs> it's like that's uh, in the space and universe of security, privacy or compliance. Um, yes, uh, I'd be happy to take on that gig if you'll pay me to do it. So, um, seriously, the, the way we really did think about that is uh, there's some truth to that, but you know, we, we took a lot of gigs and a lot of it was uh, clearly under market uh, because, because our fixed costs were so low, but the way we looked at it was uh, every at bat that we get is an opportunity for us to gain clients, uh, get, get a store to tell, hopefully expand into that existing clients. Actually that first client that we ever spoke to is uh, still a still client today that we do one of our biggest clients that we've continuously expanded into. So uh, that turned out to be correct. Um, so I think we were, we took a lot of contracting gigs even 
like that's the non-glamorous part about it that people don't want to talk about often is uh, we were like subcontractors under a few organizations. We were just doing stuff to pay the rent um, and then accumulating clients along the way, just trying to do really, really good work uh, every time. Never like losing a client was never an option. We we're like, we can't lose a client because it was so the acquisition costs for us seemed so expensive. So we would get a client and just land and expand over and over again, trying to do outstanding work uh, that largely worked. And um and do it and we I remember at one point me and CW said hey, you imagine one day when we have all of our own clients like we don't have to do any contracting gig and, like we have enough of our own clients to pay the bills and we're like yeah I mean that, like we'll kind of know we've made it at that point and a year in we pretty much had that but I do remember those types of conversations but we didn't have the service lines that we have today like uh, like high trust and SOC two and PCI and pen testing it was really just like doing a lot of security assessment work and, and one-off consulting services. We hadn't productized a lot of that stuff. Although we certainly had designs and visions to productize it in that way. We knew that stuff was coming. We were just trying to find at bats and opportunities to formalize that and a lot of patience over the course of five years. And I would say CW, he kind of leads our service line development uh, part of the business. So he was brainchild behind a lot of that. So, uh, CW, you kind of spoke to this already in terms of the, the roles you each play, but I'm curious to understand, like, was this part of the arrangement coming in? Did you arrive at that naturally in terms of Christian kind of taking that traditional visionary um, role and, and CW, you kind of, uh, you know, owning the operations and implementation piece or, uh, yeah, just how did that come about? I think it evolved. I mean, at first, naturally, uh, you know, Christian knew the market. He could speak to it. He could execute the work. And I was uh, feverishly studying in the background, uh, a lot of late nights and weekends, you know, studying, uh, getting myself up to speed, a lot of tactical execution um, and just learning. So I, I think, yeah, it, it evolved kind of organically, I would say naturally, um, like Christian mentioned, we did a lot of contract, subcontract work. I mean, we're going all over the country, uh, traveling on behalf of other organizations, you know, doing all sorts of security assessments. Um, and I would say during that time, we're really trying to figure out what's the what's the right service market fit or the product market fit. And I've heard it said in the startup community that often it takes about four years to find that. And if you do it in four years, that's a good that's a good benchmark. And I think for us, it was probably two or three years uh, when we kind of knew, all right, this is it. This is the suite of services. Let's go ahead and build it out. And we're patient and, you know. We, we got one under our belt, you know, that we said, all right, this is a, this is a service line. Let's build it out. You know, let's, let's add team members. And, and we've kind of done that every step of the way, listening to the market, where's the need, what's, what's within our circle of competence or what do we need to develop? Mm-hmm. So I, I'd say that's kind of how it's evolved. Um, just playing to our natural strengths. Yeah. What about things? I, I skipped this part, but this is critical because um, I think, one thing CNW and I knew in that MBA program was that this wasn't going to be just a professional services company. We, we both made the commitment that software was going to be a part of this company. And that meant from day one, being very disciplined about saving a lot of money. Like we didn't pocket every penny we made. We never have. We were putting a ton back into savings because we wanted to invest in software. And we knew that the gap was we're doing all these assessments in Excel spreadsheets there's this whole universe of the GRC space that was coming to fruition. Vendor management was a problem. That was kind of what the capstone of our MBA program was on, was this platform, not the services part of it. Consulting was something we could do to make money immediately. 
the software piece of it was something that we could build over time to become a competitive advantage for the firm and also help deliver our professional services firm. So at about year two, we started building Phalanx, which is our platform, our GRC platform that we use to build uh, security programs, to assess the security programs. Our own consultants use them in lieu of like Excel spreadsheets and stuff. But um, that, I think, was something that I don't think we ever even said explicitly, like, hey, we're going to be conservative in our financials because we know we have to invest back in business in this way. We just both knew we were going to do it. We spent the whole two years thinking about it. So from day one, we're, we're getting invoices and getting paid from clients and we're squirreling a bunch back. And I don't remember us ever once even having that conversation that that's what we wanted to do. We just uh, knew that that's what we were going to do. And then as soon as we could, we hired an engineer and built an engineering team on top of that. And I, I think that is unique because uh, there, there was a, in retrospect, there's a lot of opportunity that me and CW could have not seen eye to eye on that strategy. Maybe we wanted to take home a little bit more money or something like that in any given year, but it never came up at all because we just had that shared vision and knew that we were going to do that and we we're going to invest back into the firm. Tell me a little bit about, so I think one of the things for the audience that may not be familiar with Risk360, you know, definitely a focus, you know, almost an exclusivity, if you will, with on B2B SaaS, high growth technology companies being the ideal client profile. When did that kind of, I guess, reveal itself or, or when did you guys discover, look, this is the, this is the perfect customer for us? Um, so I think that also was something around year two, year three, um, you know, starting out, we had a wide spectrum of customers and everything from manufacturing to uh, food services. Um, and then we had, you know, some of the high growth tech companies and we realized not only do we prefer working with the high growth, high growth tech companies, but um, they have a mandate to grow. They, they, they need the help. Um, there's a, a shortage in the, in the marketplace of talent uh, that's ready to serve them. We speak their language, we understand their journey. And so we started realizing that, you know, we're best poised to serve them because we understand them. Uh, we are them. Um, you know, we are a, a tech startup ourselves. Um, so that kind of, I think it was in the back of our mind, but it took a while to come to the forefront to where we could actually speak to it and, and uh, you know, start marketing ourselves uh, to that niche. Yeah, it's weird. Right. Every business book says that you should like be as niche as you can, but it's, it's, it's really scary from a, at least early on it was to be that niche because that mean I was, that means that we're consciously potentially turning down other opportunities, you know, and we were at a stage in the do. company where, where I want any opportunity, like manufacturing company, plumber down the street, law office, anybody, I don't care. But to start putting stuff on your website that we serve high growth tech companies, to start dressing like high growth tech company clients, to start talking like them, to start leveraging the technologies that they use, to start investing in cloud security in terms of like, we're paying for all of our employee certifications. So we're gonna pay for them and, and push them to go cloud directions. That stuff's scary because that's real money that you're investing. And, it's, and it means saying no to other opportunities. And, and that feels yep. very unnatural to say no consciously to other opportunities, but but you but the business books say you should do that. Everybody knows you should do that. And I think we got lucky, or maybe not luck, we just thought that we knew we needed to do that. So we did it. It was a great niche for us and it has become a great niche for us. And now we're I think we're you know we're winning and, and you, you know you know this Ryan as our chief revenue officer, we do really well in that space. But it's just it's just who we are. It's in our DNA, it's the technology that we use, it's how we work. 
Uh, I love working shoulder to shoulder with other entrepreneurs, also trying to grow their business. Um, so, so it ended up being a great space for us, but it's just weird how scary that is, even though, you know, you're supposed to do it early on. So, so CW, you mentioned uh, a couple books and, and Christian, you just brought up books and I know uh, this, this business has been founded on the fundamentals and best practices that have been pulled out of some very specific reads. And I think we'd probably be doing our uh, listeners a disservice if we didn't share some of that. We've, in fact, we've got conference rooms named after the authors. So can you speak a little bit to the specific books that you guys have modeled the, the, the foundation of Risk 360 around? Yes. So uh, I guess the first one I'll mention is Scaling Up uh, by Vern Harnish. Um, that one was really fundamental um, in the way that it made us think about four things. Uh, people, most importantly, uh, strategy, execution, and cash. So to Christian's point, like we had this vision from, from our MBA program to have this uh, really software company at the time. And then we realized that our circle of competence was really focused around advisory and services. And so we started there, but we had this vision. And so how we handled cash is very important. Uh, choosing to be bootstrapped and to reinvest back into the business and be patient and to, to build something great over time. You know, it's been five years and a lot's happened in five years. Um, we couldn't have gotten to where we are today in a year or even 18 months. Um, it, it took time to evolve that uh, over time. But that book is, I think, more than anything, helped me personally just think about those four key areas of business. I remember Great. when CW Chris. gave me that book. Now, people don't know this about CW, but he's one of the eight. You're, he's humble as hell, so uh, he'll never tell anybody this. But one of the most prolific <laughs> business book readers that I have ever met, and uh, I've met some good ones. Uh, so CW has de facto become my filter of business books. I really don't read anything unless he recommends it to me because he's going through them so fast. Um, but I remember when I got the book Scaling Up, um, in the front cover of it was a, a, a whole page written, handwritten from CW, um, expressing some gratitude in the business uh, partnership. Also stating that this book was like, you know, an MBA in a book. And that he felt that it was an important book uh, of how we should be running the business. And then uh, I read it. And there's something about reading a book like that while you're building a business because it's so applicable and because it came from someone I respect so much that uh, I was like, yeah, you're right. This is the book. Like this thing, everything that every corner I looked around, everything that we were doing, I could see in this book. And it gave us kind of a vocabulary to think about, to talk about and to experiment with. And uh, that tradition, actually, of giving scaling up to every employee with handwritten notes on it is something that we've done with all of our employees to date. And as long as Amazon, we can still buy the book off Amazon. At one point, we had to actually reach out to the manufacturer of the book and buy the whole stock that they had, which was like 19 books or something <laughs> at the time. But uh, we, I mean, that's how much we care about the book is we, we, we get it. Uh, we write handwritten notes in it, CW and I do, and, and give it to everyone. And most folks never read it, or at least they don't read it for, you know, couple years into it, but I always, every time someone reads it, they've been with the firm for a couple of years and they finally decide to crack it open reading it. They're like, man, all the stuff that uh, you guys do, the 806 morning yeah. meeting, the quarterly yeah. meetings, like it's all in this book. I just thought you guys are business geniuses yeah. and invented it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, we just stole yeah. it from the book. <laughs> so not to, let's give some of the other authors some credit. What are some of the other books? Sure. Well, I know uh, Christian likes traction. Actually, uh, you introduced that book to me uh, by Gina Wickman. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and I would say the, the great 
The Great Game of Business is another. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, is it Small Giants? And Small, Small Giants, Giants is, is that right? Having, yeah, that's the one that uh, is about like starting a, the value of keeping a business small but great is basically the tagline of it. Yep. So uh, just keeping yourself humble and, uh, you know, obviously we want to scale. We want a, a big, great company, but at the same time, remain disciplined and being happy with where you're at. There's, there's some of that in, in there. Gino Wickman is uh, the guy who talks about traction and that's where the visionary being the CEO and the integrator being kind of like the co-CEO or the chief operating officer kind of position. That's what we think of ourselves as visionaries and integrators came from that book. And then um, one I want CW to talk about is uh, Jim Collins wrote this really pamphlet. Uh, he's known for uh, From Good to Great. That's probably his most famous book, but he wrote uh, a pamphlet called The Flywheel. And, and um, that's another business strategy thing. And I won't steal your thunder. CW, can you talk about the flywheel? Because you invented that to me and that's become quarter us. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really like that concept. So uh, Jim Collins, he wrote that um, kind of as an output of a lot of his consulting that he does uh, for businesses. And he realized that, you know, there's only five or six things that really good businesses do and all the rest, you know, they don't really do. And by focusing on those five or six things, it allows them to be a lot more targeted and disciplined about how they approach business, how they grow. And so, um, you know, great businesses like Amazon, Vanguard, um, they have they've defined their own flywheel for how they grow their business. So after reading that, we we sat down and we said, all right, well, what, what are the five or six things that, that we need to do in order to you know define and, and grow our flywheel? Um, and so that's something that we did and that's, that's really proved true. Like there's, there's really only five or six things that we focus on and invest our time and energy and, and money into. Um, but those are the things that have the greatest return, uh, for our clients, greatest return for our team. Um, and so if, if we're investing in something, it is, it is tied to one of those, uh, elements of the flywheel. Yep. So, so, uh, I guess I, I joined the firm three and a half years into existence, right? If we're approaching five years of this fifth anniversary. So one of the two things jumped at me immediately once I got in and, and kind of looked under the covers. And, and one was um, the overt, I guess, investment in culture would be number one. And also I would say the investment in back office that belies our size, meaning I'm, I'm accustomed to, you know, early growth stage companies being so top line revenue focused that, you know, investing in, you know, driving efficiencies and administrative tasks and things of that nature would be like, you know, we'll, we'll worry about that, you know, later type scenario. Can, can you explain a little bit to me about, you know, was this by design? Was, was this a conscientious decision or did, did it just seem like the right thing to do? Just a little bit about kind of the foundation that you've built a business around, if you would. I've heard it said that, you know, cult, uh, I don't remember who said this and maybe several have, but, you know, culture is not, uh, you know, the main thing. It's the only thing, um, yeah. you know, you have to start with that. And, and that, that kind of is something I learned also in the army, you know, to, to build great teams, it starts with culture. It starts with the interactions, the norms, the characteristics of your team. And if you can focus on that and maintain that over time, especially as you grow, that creates something special. So we have this idea of uh, the inimitable brand. So a brand that's hard to replicate, hard to duplicate because there's something special there. Well, that goes back to culture. 
Um, so that's something that Christian and I talk about a lot. It's something that we, we beat the drum on a lot. Um, and um, I think that has been a differentiator for us, uh, for sure. I, I think it might have something to do with the fact that both of us come from backgrounds of like huge amounts of camaraderie. Um, and I, I know when CW, one of the reasons that we hit it off personally was just uh, the track record of doing hard things like CW's West Point grad, Army officer, you know, all the natural hard things that come across that. I wrestled, I run hard races, had a hard upbringing. So it was just kind of in our DNA to, to do that kind of stuff. There's some pleasure in that and just having that super tight knit team that wants to, wants to do great things together. So I know when we started the business, it was never a doubt. Like we, we knew that culture, like you said, was the only thing I, I didn't, I'd rather have a really strong culture and have 10 people in the firm than have a, you know, a poisonous culture and have 10,000 people. And, and that has driven many of our decision-making uh, decision points along the way and how we invest, what we invest in, why do we do things? When do we do them? And, uh, and I know that was foundational for both me and CW. So I would say it's a hybrid of uh, a very conscientious decision-making from the beginning, but also just uh, uh, in our DNA to want to have that great culture. Back office stuff, though, which is the second part of your question, like uh, the fact that we actually invest in firm infrastructure and, and operations and, and that kind of thing. I'll, I'll, I'll really give CW the credit on that because for me, I'm a cheapskate. Um, I, I always want to do... Uh, as much as possible with less. And CW is uh, the visionary in terms of, hey, look, this is a great investment for the firm and it's going to set us up for a year down the line. And and he's effective at making good business cases that I believe in <laughs> in turn. And then we, we go do it. I'm like, I can't fight that logic. It makes total sense. Let's do it. So, so we don't want this to – two things, I guess. One, we don't want this to look like a 45-minute uh, infomercial, right? Two – um, it couldn't have been all easy, right? So, so talk to me a little bit about, um, I don't know if there were dark days. Certainly there's been challenges in getting this thing going, um, you know, despite the tailwinds we may have today. Sh share with me a little bit about the bumps on the, along the journey. What are some lessons that you maybe learned? Um, this is the first business each of you have founded, for example. You know, what would you do differently the second time around? Give me a little bit of color around that. I'll come uh, where first. do we want to begin with that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think, I mean, one thing that I, I guess you know, but you can't really know until you do it is like how all consuming starting a business is. Um, just the number of hours. Like I, when we first started, um, man, I lost so much sleep because like every time we would add a person, I would like have nightmares about not meeting payroll for that person. Even though we weren't in any risk, we were, we were fine. But it's just like it was such amount of anxiety for me because there was so many unknowns. It was the first business. And uh, there's no way I could have predicted the amount of mental effort that I was forced to put into this business. I say forced, but probably some of it was my own self-abuse doing that. But, man, I, it was really like psychologically and emotionally draining. Um, I think for, for all the hardship, there was good stuff to compensate for that. But um, not to be taken lightly. Uh, if you if you're I, mean, I think like the whole celebrity entrepreneur thing, entrepreneurship being sexy and stuff like that is uh, is very popular right now. But what's under the covers there is like a ton of anxiety and fear and and late nights and worried about missing payroll and and frustration and and uh, your own inadequacies. Like I've never been a CEO before. I've never been uh, 
an operations manager before. We've never done HR before, so it's just really, really hard. So for me, the darkest days were really all of that anxiety early on. And, and the anecdote for that turned out to be just hiring great people who can take on problems for you and that you trust. Uh, like uh, I go give you credit, Ryan, on the sales front. Like that was mostly me and CW early on doing tons of sales, which presents a, that's a big burden to carry on top of delivery and everything else. And then when you uh, came on board and quickly gained our trust and we knew that you were going to manage that, that you had it, you're good. We don't have to think about it as much anymore. That was a huge burden off our shoulders. Then we have a guy named Tim who's taken over operations. And we have Jessica who's taken over vibes and HR and uh, service line leaders who are doing delivery. And, and those are all people that care about this business as much as we do and are doing a great job and they're managing it. And uh, so it turns out giving away some of that control is the anecdote of all that anxiety, at least it was for me. And that continues to be a tough journey for me. Um, you know, just those growing pains of relinquishing control and, and stop having anxiety about the business. CW, I'd love for you to answer that question as well, if you don't mind. Yeah, I think um, you just go through a lot of discovery. You know, when you're when you're starting out, you don't know what advisors are good advisors. You know what um, what makes a good hire. You know, you, you have to figure these things out, and that just takes time. So, for all the the home runs you hit and the singles and the doubles, you're going to strike out spectacularly at some at some point. And then you got to get back up, dust yourself off, and and get back after it. So, I mean, uh, l learning everything from, hey, this these are people to avoid. You know, this is not a good advisor. They don't have our best interests in mind. There's another agenda that's hidden. They're not being forthright. To, hey, you know, we hired this person. It's really not a good fit. You know, for the sake of them and us, you know, we should probably figure out how to help wind down that relationship. Those are really tough decisions. That's that's stuff that. You know, it takes a lot of uh, consideration, conversations to try to do right by all parties. But I think uh, that's the stuff going into it that you don't necessarily read those type of things in business books. But that's kind of boots on the ground, tactical decision making that, that happens, you know, faster than you would like sometimes. And uh, that's where, you know, having great people that you can go and, and bounce ideas off, um, you know, instead of feeling like you got to bear that burden all yourself which you do when it's just the two of you, right? But, but as you build the team out and you have people that are smarter than you and, and have better expertise in a certain area, that's where you, know, you have to realize that you've lost span of control and that's okay because you've got great leaders that can step up and, and do um, and make decisions on things probably better than you can. Um, so I think that's where uh, I'd say over time, uh, the stress has actually gone down for me because yeah. of that. But early on, when it's all on you, um, it is it is a burden for sure. So let's let's step through the past and get into the to the current day. Risk three sixty. We we're uh, thirty some odd heads. Um, you know, probably growth at the end of the year somewhere around fifty five to seventy percent. We'll, we'll see uh, how well we finish the year. But um, talk to me a little bit about just the current state of the business, the industry. And uh, what sort of opportunities you see uh, lying ahead for us? I think we're very fortunate um, to be in the security space. Like there, there's a lot of things that uh, a great market size and trajectory will compensate for, even if you don't have a strong business. And um, I think we do have a strong business, but we're in a great market. 
um, in terms of opportunities to go out and solve problems and serve clients and help them with the security thing um, and privacy. I think we're, we're at a weird age. Like you can look at the headlines, all the ransomware stuff. These are existential threats for organizations. Like it could put them out of business. Um, so everyone's paying attention at the board level on down. And, and that's a relatively new phenomena. And then on top of that, we have society paying attention now because they're thinking about privacy. They're seeing all the social media headlines. They're thinking about how this is going to impact them and their future and the decisions that they make. You have regulators making decisions like out of Europe and GDPR. So it's just a crazy place to be doing business right now and also hugely immature. So it's a great curve to live in and that there's huge demand for the services, but not a ton of supply, <laughs> a classic economics. And I think that we're part of that surge of organizations trying to solve those big problems. So it poises us for a huge amount of growth. Um, so that's the market conditions from a firm perspective. I'm, I'm very optimistic and excited about like who we have on board, young leaders that want to grow this thing out and do something important and, uh, and care about it. So I'm super optimistic what about you, CW. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, other than being in a great space, um, I'd say I'm, I'm excited about our team, our culture. Um, that, that's the stuff that excites me and gets me up in the morning. Cause I said, if I'm ever going to get out of the military, I want to go build great high performing teams. And, and that's, that's what we have. Um, we also now have software. Uh, we've got Phalanx GRC, which is a fantastic platform, not only for us, but also for our clients. And I think that stuff we have in the pipeline to help to automate a lot of the compliance burden to me, that's exciting because that's, that's forward thinking. I mean, if you think what, what does audit look like 10 or 15 years from now? Well, it's, it's going to suck less. It's going to be a lot better because technology will have ca caught up with the way that things should work. Um, you know, we shouldn't be bothering the engineering teams, you know, multiple times a year to, to pull screenshots and configuration settings. These would be things that, that are solved by, by the, by the industry. And that's the stuff that we're doing today. Um, so to me, I'm very excited about the future. Um, and like Christian said, privacy is huge. Uh, when you when you have people that are not in our space start asking the right questions about what's happening with their data, that's exciting because uh, I think change is on the horizon. And yeah, man, we're we're about. at an inflection point. Like I I think as a as a society and as an industry because. Like, I think we're having this realization that all the stuff and all the investments that we've made aren't resulting in the amount of security and privacy that we would otherwise hope it would have just because yeah. of the volume of breaches, the amount of money organizations are spending, all of that stuff. So it's probably not going to be the huge organizations that solve these problems. They're, they're largely entrenched in the, the way it always has been. It's going to be these young companies, these startups like us, and, and, and frankly, the clients that we serve, which is another reason it's exciting to be in the space, that are going to come up with these innovative solutions and new ways of thinking to do business to solve these problems. So you think about things like blockchain technology, machine learning, all the buzzwords, but that stuff's real and it's, and it's becoming a thing. And the way it manifests itself for us is like audit automations and thinking about like latest technologies and how we're going to use those and how we're going to do different types of assessments. And that's really fun. That's a whole lot funner than having an Excel spreadsheet and thinking about Sarbanes-Oxley and how I'm going to audit a bunch of controls, um, which is right. you know what you do if you're at a big firm often. So um, because yep. we're at that forefront and because the market recognizes that value, I think there's a huge opportunity for upside and, and, and to serve clients in a unique and special way, which is super exciting for me. Let's, 
speaking of which, you know, I think a lot's been said. I've read a lot about, you know, the future of sales and is that going to look like uh, the pandemic moving forward or is it going to look like pre-pandemic moving forward, like just the nature of, of selling and, and things of that nature? What about consulting, for example? Like, I know our team, I don't know that we've been on site yet. We're sitting here in mid-late July um, with over a year of being in-house, for example. Um, what does the future of consulting look like in your guys' view? It depends. Um, I guess I'd say it depends because um, I think the last year has taught us that there's not much that, that can't be done, uh, you know, easily remote as, as on site. Um, but there are, you know, certain things that certifying bodies and, and owners of frameworks uh, for certification reporting are, are going to force on site assessments and on site portions. Um, so I, I'd say on, on the peer advisory space, I think we're going to see a lot more remote. Uh, a lot of our clients have not gone back to the office yet. Yeah. Uh, we do have some that have gone back and, and are requesting, um, you know, eventually to, to have some on-site assessment. So I'd say uh, when, when there's not uh, a forcing mechanism like a certifying body tell you to go on-site, I think all parties are probably going to appreciate the option to just do remote. But when there is a requirement, then we'll still see that. Yeah. What about uh, what are the what are the what are the biggest challenges facing facing the the success of of Risk Three Sixty moving forward in your guys' vantage point? I, I remember we used to have this. I'll, uh, I'll answer that if you guys can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I remember a conversation uh, we had a couple years ago where you know we were really really trying to get new clients. Like that was the main focus. And it's always a focus. It's still a focus, but that's the thing that would take up us up at night. It was like, where are we going to get enough clients to pay the bills? And then I, I, we would joke because we were not joke. We, we knew it was true. We'd say, you know, there's going to come a problem where clients are the problem. Finding people to deliver the work and to build the team out is going to be the problem. And in the back of my head, I was like, man, that's the kind of problem I want to have. That sounds a lot better than uh, not being able to get clients. Maybe that's true. But that that is the, the foundation of what I think all of us would agree is going to be our biggest challenge uh, on a go-forward basis is, we're, is finding the right people and putting them in the right seats and enabling them to help us grow this business alongside ourselves. Um, we are in a state of constant and nonstop recruiting interviewing and hiring um which is weird when you're a 30 some odd person company because you know that that problem is only going to get bigger you're you're not going to need less heads you're going to need more heads and where you're going to get them because there's a huge um, shortage of security professionals one would argue in the space Um, everyone wants top-notch security people so we have to be innovative in how we recruit them how we retain them how we get them on board the mission how we train them and that is uh, suddenly one day we woke up and that was the new problem. It was delivering the work and it was getting clients. And all of a sudden we have to build this engine <laughs> that can run and, and build the business alongside of us. So I think on a go forward basis, that's at least in the short term, medium term, that's definitely going to be our biggest problem. CW? 100% agree. Uh, I do too. I, I think the inflection <laughs> point we're at is we're becoming a training organization. And that means that we continue to, to stick to our core values. We, we hire for character and we train for skill. And I think that that is the, that is the sound and scalable way to approach this. Um, we just get a lot better at training. Uh, we get a lot better at onboarding people. 
uh, bringing them up to speed, getting them the certifications they need to be successful, uh, mentoring them. That's why we have a coaching program. Everybody's got a coach. That's why we have the craftsmanship program as well to develop security craftsmen. So I think in lieu of being able to just bring on experienced uh, you know, people in our space due to the talent shortage, we create them. So that's that's how we solve that problem going forward. Yep. And it looks like we're about coming up on time, but I would like to ask one, one last question. You brought up those core values, and, and for the listeners that may not be familiar, we've got five of them. We've got them up on our wall in, in uh, poster boards, if you will. They're, they're grit, uh, grit, rather, steadfast, freedom, team, and craftsmanship. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about the rationale behind creating those uh, those five specific core values, if you would? Well, I think... Core values are uh, important to an organization, but it's not something that you can just uh, do flippantly uh, unless you just want core values for the sake of having them. And so for the first few years, we deliberately did not have core values because we didn't want them. We didn't want to just pick core values. Uh, we, We said, let's let our culture develop. Let's figure out what we truly value. And, um, I don't remember what year we came up with those. I want to say maybe it was around 2017, 2018, but we we just sat down and said, what do we care about? Who are we as a firm? What's our identity? And that those values came out of that discussion with the team. Um, And they felt right at the time they feel right now. And, and we do uh, everything from hiring uh, to training, to investing in the flywheel based on those core values. Speak a little bit, Christian, if you would, to, just, I was going to say the hiring and how we evaluate across, you know, the GWC and then those five core values. Could you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. So core values are something that irritate me a little bit because it's become kind of this trope that people use to say, yeah, we have core values. They're on a wall, Mm -hmm. but they're, but they don't mean anything. And and to CW's earlier point, I think that's why we waited on developing them because we didn't even know who we were or what the core values were. So I remember us doing a bunch of working sessions and, and those evolved over time. Uh, we had, we had some, we wrote them down, we evaluated them. It was just a fun thought exercise to think about who we wanted to be. And then once we kind of settled on some and that really resonated with us, it was like, well, how do we make this even matter? And, um, and I knew why they mattered. They mattered because if we can keep our principles as a company, then we can grow out a principled company. So we tried to embed those core values in, in a lot of different ways. One of the ways that we do that to your question is through the hiring process. So um, Scaling Up recommends this process. Basically, we measure every candidate across eight criteria. It's GWC and core values. So GWC stands for get it, want it, capacity to do it. So we'll measure a candidate across those three. And then we'll also measure them across their fit with our five core values. And then each candidate gets a numerical score, uh, one to three. And they have to get at least 16 um, from the people who interviewed them to be of consideration. And that's a way that we've like tried to build core values into the very beginning of a relationship with a teammate because we want to make sure that it's a fit for them and it's a fit for us. We've also gone beyond that and that we've embedded them into um, some of our decision making processes. We've embedded them into the um, performance review process. So when someone goes through and they do their, you know, formal performance review, there's a whole section where the employee, the coach, as well as their manager will kind of say, how do you stack up against core values? And we take that very seriously. It really prompts a great conversation. Usually our 
team members are much harder on themselves than everybody else. But, you know, they'll give themselves a one on craftsmanship and we'll be like, no, man, you're really good. Like, you need to know that you're like a two or a three. But those prompt those great conversations. It just keeps it on the forefront of our mind all the time. Why do these core values matter? What, what are they all about? And I like that approach. I like having core values and then having some means to bake them into the culture. And um, this is the first place I've ever worked where I think every team member could recite all five core values without looking at the wall. And other places I've, I've worked at, it's like, do we have core values? I have no clue. Let me check the website. That's a huge differentiator yep. for us. And that's part of that thing you can't imitate, that inimitable brand, a piece of our flywheel that we see I was alluding to earlier. Anything that uh, I may not have asked that you want to volunteer for the audience? Uh, yes. So okay. the reason that we wanted to do this podcast, um, this five-year anniversary podcast, is because you know we talked about what do we want out of this. We don't want it to be infomercial. This isn't uh, an advertisement for Risk360 and why we're so great or anything like that. And what we settled on was, one, hopefully current team members listen to this, and we want y'all to be excited like ever we're growing this thing together and we're we feel like we're growing something important and i think the team feels like that and this is kind of our confessional to get it out there on video that hopefully everybody can hear what we're thinking and increase further communication the second reason that we want to do this is because i hope that this is a tool for future hires so if you're listening to this and you don't currently work for risk 360 like this is what we're all about this is pretty unedited uh, totally unedited, off the queue. I didn't even know what questions Ryan was going to ask in advance. Um, right. And this yep. is what we're all about. And we want, you know, our existing employees and the future employees, hopefully listening to this someday, to be excited about being part of this thing. And if you are, uh, reach out to vibes at risk360.com because we're always hiring. <laughs> cool. So if you guys enjoyed this, so if you don't know, this is part of a series. We do a podcast called Tuesday Morning Ryan. Uh, that's released every Tuesday. It's not usually me, CW, and Ryan. It's usually myself and some security experts or privacy experts just talking about the industry and talking about really interesting things and growing businesses. So if you like this kind of content, the best way to find it is go to YouTube, Google search Risk360, Tuesday Morning Grind, and you can find us and we'll have all that content. You can also look on any of the uh, podcast apps, whether you're on Apple, Google, whatever you like, Spotify, we're on there too. You can listen in. We also have a ton of free content. So if you're looking at how, uh, how do I become an expert on ISO 27001, how do I become an expert on SOC 2, we literally have videos where we break down those entire frameworks and we put them on YouTube for free just because we want to contribute to the community and help you guys out. So uh, our only ask is please do engage. Reach out on YouTube, LinkedIn, check our videos out, and let us know what you like, what you don't like, and we'll try our best to produce that content. So thank you guys for joining and see you next time.